technology now that we've shifted locations to your kitchen table yeah this is pretty cool it's a little different um but everything's a little different these days yep uh and that's a good thing i was trying to listening to the last couple of shows and i'm trying to to see if it's like coming out the way i want it you know i listen to it on a couple of different things i listen to it in mm. with my uh, airpods i listen to it with headphones I put it on the um, Alexa machine. Yeah. No, Alexa, nothing. Never mind. That's like four downloads that you've given us. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, um, I don't know, guys. Tell tell us how it sounds. You know, I feel like I've just listened to it so many times now, I, I don't know what I'm listening to anymore. I think we've gotten uh, some complimentary uh, compliments from people about the sound. Those are my favorite kind of compliments. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, so this is pretty cool. We're back here um, for another see uh, this experimental is, episode. That's uh, photographically that's a bad picture because I'm sorry, sorry folks. I know this is compelling radio. This is go. where it's at. Um, okay, pictures have been taken, and we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life. Love and Recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike. And boy, do we have a show for you. Yes. Today on RMA, it's RMA in the morning with Nat and Mike. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good, great. Yes. Me too. So great. Before we get good. started, Nat, we need to talk about alcohol yeah. recovery in the workplace. Okay. Yeah. Talking about sobriety and, and proving it to your employer can be so difficult. And uh, yeah. our friends at Soberlink would like to help. They would. Yes. So if you need a reliable way to present uh, a documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, uh, nothing says loved one like documented proof of sobriety. <laughs> uh, Soberlink can help. Uh, oh, lordy. What is Soberlink? You might wonder. Isn't it Some wonder. something with sobering? Yeah, well, it's a high-tech portable breathalyzer. Yes. Or a breathalyzer system, really, because it's not just the device, which is pretty cool in and of itself, but it's the device plus the software behind it. It's a whole network of devices that, you know, are well, alerted when you, <laughs> when you fail the test. <laughs> like they immediately send a message to the police. Yes, they no. send a drone. Um, they, they do not do those things. Um, but it does use facial recognition uh, technology to verify your identity. Uh, and it has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used. It sends uh, results directly to your specified contacts. So there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the report uh, reporting. So uh, it's considered the gold standard in the industry. Um, and their whole idea is that being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career, nor should it. Um, so let Soberlink help. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com slash middle hyphen ages. Yeah. Link this, in the show notes. I say this every time we do an ad for Soberlink. I think it's a really, really cool um, device. And also... Um, you know, because I'm thinking back to when I was in that time of my life when I was trying to um, prove that I was not drinking anymore. Yeah. And it was so hard to do because my wife knew 
or uh, you know, or my sponsor knew that I could come up with a million ways to fake um, appearing to be sober. So this is if I had this, but on my uh, you know on my side, it would have been a lot easier. I could say, hey, I'm doing the right thing. I've got the sober link. There's no way to fake it. Yeah, and um, I'm sober. So check it out, guys. I, I was thinking about that too, and I, but for me, like when I would go out with people, like there was literally nobody I could have asked to blow into the breathalyzer because everybody with me was always drunk right. too. <laughs> so that would not have worked. And I'm kind of wondering, like, I had this devilish idea, like maybe I should get one, um, you know, when my son starts driving, and be like, you know, you can use the car, but only if before. Well, before, when you get in and drive it, you send me, you blow into the portable breathalyzer and send me, uh, send me the results. And then I'm like, well, no, that'll. That would cause like issues that he would need for therapy later. Yeah, on. yeah that later would be some on. serious. Um, but uh, oh, well, well, you know, although it's not on the, the other worst hand, idea. Yeah, it's not a terrible idea. They but, should put that in every car. Was it? Were we discussing that where yes. someone had proposed that every car by law should have a an intoxilock device? It was actually proposed. It yeah. was a, it was a law that was proposed in Congress, and I don't think it really went anywhere. But uh, I wonder how many lives that would save every year if you, yeah, if you did have that in a car. It's one of those things that really seems like an overreach um, by government. But on the other hand, seems like, yeah, like you said, how many lives would that save? Yeah. I mean, you know, you, know always, you always have to balance personal freedom against social responsibility. It's the age old conundrum in yeah. politics, right? Like every day I balance those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just, you know, it would seem like that a company like Soberlink would be the perfect company to sort of liaise with... Uh, with the car manufacturers and, you know, make it so it's sort of not all that obtrusive. But they would need a liaison to deal with it. I think those are called liaisons. <laughs> In French, we call them liaisons. Uh, bonjour, je suis le liaison. Well, liaison. <laughs> it sounds like a fancy loser. I'm just a fancy loser. I'm a liaison. So, um, here we are. Yes. Here we are post-Thanksgiving. Yes. And uh, did How, you have a nice Thanksgiving? I, I did. I had a very nice Thanksgiving. Went to your mom's? Yeah. It was the first Thanksgiving at my um, my ancestral home mm-hmm. <laughs> where I grew up. Kingsley Castle. Right. Kingsley Manor. The Kingsley Manor. Um, but it was really cool. My mom got a chance to make her Thanksgiving dinner and uh, my uh, wife's family and um, my Aunt Ruthie was there. Uh, I didn't get to see my brother and his side of the family. No, they uh, didn't uh, didn't come this year. No, he he married um, uh, into a family that has lots of children, uh-huh. and those children have lots of children. I see, yeah. and they usually are not all in one place. But this year they were, mm. and so we said, you know, let's you can do that. There's like twenty three, twenty five kids. You know, it's nuts. Wow. So uh, I didn't get to see my brother, but um, it was a good time. Good time had by all, no major arguments. Nobody was overly uh, wasted or anything like that. That's good. Yeah. How That's about you? Uh, it was it was good. You know, we had we had a lot of people over the house. Uh, we lost two to COVID like a few days before. I mean, they didn't they didn't die, but they <laughs> are they just, in a better place. They just couldn't make it. Um, and I got a funny story about that in a second. But um, so my my son is home. So the the Thanksgiving festivities for some started the night before. My my son came right. home from college, the biggest party night of the year. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't think he was really aware of that. But um, you know, his friends asked him to go out, and he said, "Yeah, sure." You know, and it, it's so crazy. He can, he comes home from college, and I hadn't seen him in you know, it really wasn't more than a month. But like I when I saw him last time, he didn't really have his jacket off or st- and stuff. But now I, I look at him, and he's totally. He's like been spending all his time in the oh, gym. That's good. Telling me about um, recommending like 
how much protein I should eat and all this nice. bro science he's feeding me up. And, all uh, right. He's getting into the gym rat culture. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, that's fucking way better yeah. than the drug rat culture yep. uh, that I participated in when I was his age. But um, he, we were having a discussion and, and this is also unique because we never had discussions when he was in high school. It was mm. more like, fuck you, dad. You know, <laughs> that yeah. was the discussion. <laughs> but now like we talk about politics, we talk about... Um, you know, future and all this other stuff. And That's he's very awesome. sort of into like Nietzsche and being like the Ubermensch, like the Superman kind of kid. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, okay, whatever. Maybe he'll, he'll grow out of that because it's a little narcissistic, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, but, that's perfect for the age. But so we're having this discussion uh, on Tuesday night when he gets home about how, you know, yeah, he's like, you know, I, I was smoking pot and I just put it down, you know. I was drinking alcohol and then I just walked away. He's like, mm. if you can't do that, you know, you know, you're you're just weak, you know. All right. And I'm like, okay, I've that's interesting. That <laughs> and then so fast forward to the following day, he goes out with his friends and, you know, we have a ring camera, right, on the front door and we actually we had a we have a nanny cam in the in the kitchen that we never took down even though we don't have a nanny anymore because right. it's amusing to see what your chill your teenagers do yeah. at like five o'clock in the morning um so he so we're wondering like what time is this kid getting in and my wife hears the no- notification from the doorbell it's like i don't know quarter to two mm-hmm. and she looks out and he's standing in, in front of the in front of the door like weaving back and forth <laughs> and, like, trying to get in he can't get in he's punching numbers into the oh, lock he no. can't get in and then I think he re- remembered that he actually left through the back door. So he goes around to the back door, comes in, proceeds to stumble around the kitchen, <laughs> eating like, uh, you know, drinking from the tap. He's got his head under it, you know, and, uh, you know, raiding the snacks and everything. And, you know, the next day we were supposed to run the 5K. So this is the tradition of Thanksgiving. Me right. and Ben go out, we run the 5K and I invited him and he said yes this year. And I was like, this is great. So I go the next morning up to his room. I'm like, hey, Dimitri, uh, you know, it's uh, it's eight, 8 o'clock. We got to go to the 5K. And he just opens one eye. He's like, um, to be honest, I'm way too hungover. Yeah. To go to the I was like, oh, yeah, how's that quitting the alcohol yeah, thing going for you? What buddy? are you, weak or something? You know? Yeah. So I was busting his balls about it. And he watched the video and he was he was laughing about it. But, you know, and, and it occurred to me like a couple of years ago, like when I was in the beginning of this sobriety business, mm. I would have gotten like all like projecty and like upset with him and thinking like this is it for him he's going to be a junkie he's going to die in the gutter. Yes. And now I'm just kind of like, you know what? He's 18, he's got to go th- through some of this stuff. He yeah. knows based on our conversations like the dangers, you know. Yeah. He knows the the potential pitfalls and he's stuff. He's got to live the consequences, you know. Yeah. That is a perfect lesson because he didn't get hurt, you know. And he got to to hear himself say very clearly, it's so easy to not do this Mm -hmm. and to then go out as an adult and see why it isn't always so easy to just do it, you know, these sorts of things and, you know, and to wake up with a hangover. I mean, that's a lesson. Well, and he got, and and then I made him watch himself on video. Right, even worse. You've just compounded the humiliation and the shame. He he was laughing and smirking (laughs) about it because when you're 18, you can laugh and smirk at yourself staggering around drunk in the kitchen. The the problem is when you fast forward to when you're 48. And you come home and your wife is like, you know. (laughs) You know, all of a sudden it's not, you know, funny or cute anymore. So, you know, that, that night he and he goes and then a couple hours later he's like you know I wonder if I should uh, I've heard people talk about this what do they call it the dog's hair where you have <laughs> yes I'm like you don't want it you don't want to drink right you don't now. want hair of the dog buddy so uh, uh, and then you know uh, my wife's aunt had a couple too couple too many 
Um, but she was fine. She just got weepy when her boyfriend started playing the piano uh, in my house. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was this big, this Irish guy who like just sits down and rips off this beautiful classical music. No after, kidding. Yeah, really super nice guy. Uh, you know, it's funny. He had two Coronas. Like, I know what everybody's drinking because yeah. I watch now. You know? I know. I'm the same way. But I know my exactly aunt, my aunt was like, drinking what? Drain, uh, my wife's aunt drained like a bottle of wine and was getting a little misty-eyed. But, you know, look, nobody nobody fought. Nobody got cantankerous. There was no d- discussion of politics. Yeah, we avoided um, it, too. And I survived with sobriety intact. Uh, I was pouring drinks for people. Yeah. I was, you know. I... I was there too. I mean, I, I I told you before the um, Thanksgiving that my mother had sent out something about. Oh, there's no alcohol. Right, right. Now, the my I think sister-in-law, my wife, and mother-in-law. I think they all just decided, fuck this, we're bringing uh, champagne, you know, she's never going right. to, and of course it was no problem at all. So they, they brought a couple bottles of Prosecco, but it was funny because they went through the first one and then the second one was they couldn't find it, you know, and, and people keep looking at me like I didn't hide it. You know, why are you well, maybe looking they at thought me? You, you took it away. And why would it? I know where the fucking where, where the champagne went? And then they started thinking, well, the Joan put it somewhere. My mother, you know, I said, well, just to ask her, I'm sure it's. You know, it was just kind of funny that they were looking at me for that. I'm like, I had nothing to do with the champagne. Don't look at me, you know, but it was nice. It was a good time, and uh, yeah, we also avoided all of the the politics. And I would imagine that's because my brother was not there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for the most part, good times. I did see some postings on Facebook about people who were fresh, you know, to sobriety, and this being their first round of holidays. And I remember that feeling, you know, like how the hell am I going to get through this without drinking? And you know, and. Uh, you know, you, you could try and reassure people that, you know, the first one, it's like any other skill. Like the first time you get on a bike, you're going to be wobbly. But the second time you get on, it's fine. And then eventually you're not even going to think about it while you're riding your bike. Right. I mean, you should always think about looking out for potholes in the road, right? Or else you'll fall and break your face, right? And that's a good that's allegory good. for... for uh, but you get muscle memory you and get, your right. body gets used to, you know doing those sorts of things. It gets easier. There's nothing like more empowering also than getting through the first set of holidays with sobriety intact, you know? Yeah, I remember going through that and, you know, it's, it's you know, like you're going through it. I remember being at the holiday where it was this big feat for me to get through it. Yeah. um, And it was hard. So I I remember it was not always this easy to to do that. You know, it was like, um, and that's why it's important to, like what we talked about, have a plan, you know, all of those yeah. those tips, and hopefully you guys got something out of that. Um, the other thing was we, uh, the Monsters uh, started like a book club for this book uh, by Matthew Perry, and that sort of brings us to the show today. Um, I know I could go on all day. I did a couple of crazy things, too, over the, since the last show. What did you but, do uh, that was crazy? Just give us one. The, okay, the one crazy thing... Was um, my friend Chris, who was in the band with me, that opens the show. You know, I have, for years and years, you know, he runs a recording studio. We played in bands. And uh, he's still playing in some of the bands he, he like, records for. And uh, and so this one particular band, Sprout, got locally pretty big as, like, a punk band in the, I guess, the early 2000s. Just a locally... You know, they were touring. They had uh, one of those bands that has a lot of fans, but only in like a 20-mile radius type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a reunion show from 20 years. It was like they hadn't played in 20 years. 
And so just like old times, Chris is like, you want to come help me out? He's playing guitar. You want a guitar attack? Oh, wow. Which I was like, okay. And uh, and so I was in this bar, you know, <clears throat> which bar was it? Uh, Village Pub, I think, in yeah. Amityville. Okay. It's been a couple of different you know, places over the years. In fact, Chris and I were like, wait, didn't we play here? And I'm like, we definitely, it used to be called the wrong way in. Uh-huh. And then Got it was it. called oh, Village. So, but it was cool to just revisit this. And there was a ton of people came out to the reunion, guys that I used to be in the studio with just because I used to assist him, mm-hmm. you know, just for fun. I wanted to learn about recording and stuff. And so a lot of these guys were like, oh, I remember you, you know? And so it was kind of a cool little, um, you know, reunion, but just to see, all of those people now, you know, some of them are, you know, parents and they're, right. they're kind of like leaving their adult life to just do this for one night. Right. And there are some guys that are, are still like in it and you mm-hmm. can see it. Sometimes it's a little sad. Sometimes it's like, hey, great, good for them. They're like still pursuing their passion. Um, but it wasn't hard for me to be at this bar and not drink. That You know, going back to what we just said. And my friend Chris, who I, I don't see a ton, uh, you know, he's not like up on my recovery and things like that. He right. just checks in with me every like five years <laughs> or every two years, that type of thing. And so he was concerned. He said, is this okay for you? You know, you're going to come yeah. to a bar. Are you okay? Have you, how have you been doing with your drinking? You ever get this question <laughs> from uh, people who aren't in recovery and they're, they're trying yeah. to like carefully right. suss out how you're doing without offending you or, mm-hmm. and so it was one of those. I said, no, no, it's, I laughed. I said, no, I'm fine. Thank you for asking, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's been a while, <laughs> and, and it's not a problem for me. Okay, good, he said. I'm just checking. So I had a nice night. It was late, and uh, I had a hangover the next day just from being up till, yeah. you know, 11.30 or something like that. 11.30, wow. But I was That's moving. A- <laughs> I was trying to show, like, you know, when the band was playing, I was trying to get into it to get the crowd, you know, um, maybe. I don't know, but... It was well, yeah, a lot of fun. I guess the the point is you're in a bar, but you have a purpose there. You have something to do. Yeah. You know. Right. You know. So. And so it was a lot of fun. It brought back old memories. And then afterwards, he took me back to his, he's um, building, uh, he's rebuilding his house around a corner from here. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. He's building a professional studio, like, for half of it. Oh, wow. And it's, like, right in the building stages. And he's showing me, like, with the soundproofing. It's, like, a room within a room. And then there's, like, it's a whole, it's Is amazing. He like a, he's, like, a pro, though? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's, he does, like, record labels hire him to, like, reamp guitars and things like that. So, Wild. yeah, so it's a pro studio. And um, I well, can't did, wait for it. It's going to be awesome. Did it make you uh, think about, you know, restarting your music oh, career? A hundred percent. That's yeah. the first thing. I'm like, man, I'm like, I know all these people. And, you know, I'm kind of like when I go into that scene, I'm sort of like people think of me in that scene. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah. I, I'm so out of it now. It's like, you know, but I go back and the way people like remember you, if they haven't seen you since then, you're just yeah you're that guy again, you know. Which yeah. is a little weird sometimes. Yeah, when, when, you, when it's pe- like it is because I'm like that hasn't been me in a really right. long time. But at the same time, I feel like I could easily slip back into this and start, you know, re- rehearsing all the time, going to these horrible shows where nobody comes <laughs> and you're on your, you're your own roadie and all of that. Yeah, but be careful how far you slip back in. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought about it for about a minute and then. Uh, then I uh, took my son to his percussion lesson, and I said, "This is where I need to be." Right, yeah. <laughs> taking my son to his, his lessons. Showbiz is uh, not not very conducive to sobriety, as we as our friend uh, uh, Matthew Perry learned. You know, there's no business <laughs> like show business. Yeah, I know. So uh, right, 
I, I got you it. You just got yeah, it. I, no, I, I got it while you were saying it, but okay. I didn't. You want to introduce the book while I make myself a um, an espresso? Okay, Would fine. you like one? Are you good? Uh, no, I'm okay. You don't have half and half. You you have 2% milk and almond milk. Well, what I drink fuck, it black. <laughs> off and half. Maybe for next time, I'll, go, I'll get you some half and half. I, was, I, I almost thought about bringing my own, but I was like, no, of course he's going to have half and half of because while, while he's a Philistine, his wife is probably civilized and drinks coffee with half and half in it, but she's like an almond milk person, I guess, right? I'm guessing that's not your almond milk? No. No. Okay. So anyway, this week's uh, topic is we're going to do a review or, you know, what passes for review in RMA land of Matthew Perry's celebrity addiction recovery memoir called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. Yeah. It's an Amazon best book of November 2022. Did you know this? I didn't either. I'm just... <laughs> I did not know that. Um, and and maybe, maybe the way it's described in the in press is kind of reflective of the way that I kind of felt about this book after I read it. Um, so one of the biggest celebrity memoirs of 2022, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing by Matthew Perry, a.k.a. Chandler Bing, is both a story of onset antics and celebrity makeouts, as well as a tell-all of the insidious nature of addiction. Yes, <laughs> lots of celebrity makeouts. Yes. There are juicy yeah. stories of fame and fortune, Love and Sex, mm-hmm. guess which co-star he had a crush on and what A-list actress he dated and dumped. But what's the most shocking is the severity of Perry's addiction. He went through detox a whopping 65 times. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. What, is, what does AA say about uh, insanity? Well, they, uh, they're always quoting uh, Einstein. Uh, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Yeah. That gets quoted ad nauseum. Yeah, so one wonders 65 times of 12-step-based detox didn't stick. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was time to try something else. But um, anyway, I mean, yeah. it, it's a... Okay. It's an honest book. I'll give him that. He really... he and I, And I think some of that was probably because that's what people buy celebrity memoirs for, right? They want yeah, the name was, dropping. Yeah. They want the, you know, he who delivers. did this with who. Yeah. And he definitely delivers on that front. Um, I, you know, I'm not Matthew Perry. I don't have Matthew Perry's money. I never will. Um, and this was a major topic of the book. It was so Matthew Perry's money. His money. And, <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that per se. I mean, that's his experience. Yes. He's being honest. Sure. Um, but it came up, uh, the Monksters on um, Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon are doing a book club. And oh, By the way, we, we started a separate Discord server for just for this book club. Yeah. And anybody who wants access to that can get it. Just send me an email, mikeartmiddleagesrecovery.com. We will, I will send you the Discord link and you can join in the discussion. Yes. And to be clear, that is not the inner sanctum that you get access to by joining the patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages. It's a separate book club. And, and this is actually what inspired us to do this show because they, you know, they were talking about it. And, um, like you said, it's a very honest, it, it was difficult for me to listen to. It's like when you hear someone in that state where it's new recovery. And I think some of you out there will remember when you were there mm-hmm. or you've met people in the rooms of recovery who are, you know, they're just shy of surviving with their life and they're in the recovery process like early, mm-hmm. but now they want to 
talk about it and teach the world all about how they've done it. Kind of like what we did when we started the podcast. Almost exactly. <laughs> except we had a little more space, I think, from, you know, uh, or I didn't. I had, less, I had less than a year when we started this. So, yeah. And you know what? If you think back to um, when Dopey started, too, he, I think Dave had only six, six months. months. Chris yeah. had three years, maybe, at the time. But so, I didn't write a book. I don't know. Right. And, and, you know, we weren't really trying to tell people, share with them, like, five ways that you can recover with Mike and Nat. You know, yeah. That wasn't our thing. We were just sort of sharing our journey with people and interviewing people with a lot more smarts than you or I. Well, that was, yeah, know. it was the learning journey. Yeah. It wasn't the teaching journey, you know. But I don't know if Perry's really trying to teach. I don't know what it is. Know? He but, delivers on what people want from a salacious, you know, here's everything I did. He's in the... I'm going to just be honest. It's like that period of time. Like, yeah. I want to tell you everything and come out with all of that stuff. And that's, so that's what you get, which you know, people love that. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he's, he puts a lot of, um, he puts a lot of, I don't want to say blame, but he, he attributes a lot of his subsequent addiction issues to some adverse childhood experiences he had growing up. His parents split up, his father left right. the family and then he was shuttled back and forth between his mother in Canada and his mm-hmm. dad in L.A. And a lot of times um, they would just put him on a plane at age six years old and send him from, you know, wherever Toronto to um, to Los Angeles alone. Uh, yeah, he was going to name the book Unaccompanied Minor because that's that's what he was. That would have know. been better. Yeah. I like that. Name. I think it's a be- I think it's a better title too, but um I'm guessing his publicist or whoever said, you know, you don't have enough. I think that's a name of there. another famous book or something, but But his, his, you know. it's interesting his mother was actually the secretary to the Canadian prime minister. Justin Trudeau's father. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and he actually um beat up Justin Trudeau in a bar <laughs> once. He's mentioned that. Yeah, you know, the the name dropping, like I'm I'm trying to examine why I had this visceral reaction to this book. What was your visceral reaction? Was you it know, distaste for Matthew Perry because that was kind of mine and I and I and I'm, I've been looking at that and trying to yeah. real rem, trying to figure out why I I dislike him. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm yeah, I'm doing the same because I had this visceral rea- visceral reaction. And I'm, I have to ask myself, am I just jealous? Yeah, maybe like, that's it. Maybe I'm just jealous about this, the, you know, unlimited nature of, of his, you know, fame and fortune. But I just, I don't know what it is. It's kind of the same feeling I got reading the um, uh, Artie Lang book. Mm, and, and it's not a comment commentary on how entertaining the book is, because it is entertaining. You yeah. get these stories about him and Julia Roberts. Like, I didn't right. know that, you know, it's just... It's the lack of humility and perspective that is sort of jarring. Maybe that's maybe that's it. It's just an extreme lack of perspective. Um, and it's hard for me and lots of people to relate to uh, that kind of fame and fortune. And so it doesn't make it wrong or bad. I just, I don't know. I, I, I just don't like the attitude like I'm hearing an attitude that maybe isn't there that's I'm trying to really examine why I'm feeling this way I don't well I want to put it all on him yeah I I don't want to put it all on him either but you you could have maybe told the stories gotten the point across without mentioning you know at least 15 times that you made a million dollars an episode on friends the fact that you could do drugs as many drugs as you want for the rest of your life and never run out of money right um the fact that you know you used that 
you're pulling a geographic is buying and selling different houses in the Hollywood Hills because you wanted a better view. Yeah. Um, that if Banksy's, that you started collecting art in your sobriety and you're really into Banksy's and if your house yeah. burned down, you would rescue those first. Like stuff like that. Like it was unnecessary, maybe. Gratuitous. And gratuitous. Maybe he didn't. You know, but maybe his perspective is so fucked because he's been so rich and famous for so long. And remember, he was raised by an actor who was successful. So maybe it's this. Well, his father was the old Spice Man, right? Is that success? Um, I guess so. If I was the old Spice Man, I would be bragging about would, it. Yeah, regularly. Right. I'd have a whole podcast called "I Was the Old Spice Man." It's interesting <laughs> that his father uh, never used Old Spice. After shit. <laughs> I know that's crazy. <laughs> never wore the shit. Yeah, you know, but he certainly got paid to uh, yeah. to make a commercial. But yeah, so I mean, that was part of it. So I really try, and it's funny because um, when I was talking to, I think I was talking to Dave about it, and I he goes, "What are you doing on your show?" And I said, we're going to talk about this Matthew Perry book. And then I kind of gave my spiel about it. He goes, oh, what are you going to say about it tomorrow? You know? Yeah. And uh, I said, you know, I don't really, I don't want to be mean spirited. Uh, That's not, that's not how I am. But I, I, I want to process these feelings. (laughs) I feel like (laughs) I'm like, I really, I don't know if it's jealousy or if if I'm like, mad that it's like a pink cloud thing because I used to feel those yeah, things yeah. even in the rooms when they weren't talking about how rich and famous they were. It was like, oh, you you don't know. This is your pink cloud. You're going to, you know, you think you've got it all together and, and you don't, you know. Well, you know, and we sit here and we ascribe motivations to Matthew Perry and we don't know Matthew Perry, you know. I'm thinking, my first thought was like, okay, the guy's got like eight months sober. He's 53 years old. His career's kind of you know, on a downslope, but he's been sober for like, whatever it is, close to a year. I'm guessing his agent told him he had to write a book because he needs to get work and yeah. this will get him on the talk shows. And, and, but I don't know any of that. Right. You know, I'm just, I'm just a cynical asshole. Right. Right. And, and Both maybe, maybe this is assholes. me projecting like my, my jealousy about Matthew Perry's, um, sort of stumbling drunkenly through millions and millions of dollars in his career and yeah. still making money hand over fist. Yeah. And, you know, maybe, and I'm giving short shrift to Matthew Perry's talent, but I, maybe not. But I, I'll tell you, I, I couldn't watch Friends. Like I watched a couple episodes back then, and I, I didn't I, think I it was funny. No. I thought it was, and I, and I realize I'm in the minority in this. And I was a deadhead back then, and I, I did not, I wasn't into pop culture and so forth. But just living in New York during that period and seeing that apartment and those people, I'm like. I live in New York City. None of those people exist, you know, and they film it on a soundstage in yeah. Los Angeles. And, it wasn't that realistic. You know. And one thing I, I noticed, though, is I brought it up just I went I was going with Chris to this uh, that Sprout show on Friday and he was the biggest Friends fan. Really? Like to the point where he would get like as a gift and love it. You know, those box sets of all the DVDs and Jesus. way, 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 way into it. You watch that more than once. He like really, really loves it. And so I, I brought it up with him. I said, oh, did you hear about this, you know, new uh, Matthew Perry book? I figured. And he was, uh, it sort of opened my eyes to the real audience for this book. It's really not us. Right. Um, the Friends fans, he was like, oh, I can't wait to hear about what he, you know, with Jennifer Aniston or right. with Julia Roberts. And there's a lot of the like inside baseball friend stuff in there mm-hmm. that fans and there's a lot of crazy fans really want to hear. So we're wow. also looking at it from a completely 
maybe from a perspective that it was an intended. That's a really f- interesting point. Yeah. I never considered that because like I was talking to Aaron last night at dinner and I said, who is the audience for these celebrity memoirs? Because I'm also reading Mackenzie's, Mackenzie Phillips' book, right. which, is ex- which is way better in my love, opinion. Love it. But, and, and well, that's, she has a, 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 that's a great comparison though. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But uh, the, the point is she's got amazing perspective when yes, she wrote that book exactly. and you can feel it. Right. And, and she's involved in the recovery. Right. Uh, she's I don't legit. Know, what do you want to call it? Industry. Yeah. You know, she, she works, she helps people every day and she's got, yeah, she does have a great perspective and, and maybe part of the reason I prefer that book also. Well, I think it's very interesting to hear one of these recovery memoirs written from a female perspective because I have not read too many written from a woman's perspective. Yeah. So like her... And this isn't a review of Mackenzie Phillips' book, but I, I really recommend that one. It's called High on Arrival. We didn't talk uh, about that on the we show. We have not talked about that on the show. Because I've read that as well. Maybe so we should do that. I, what I would do is re- refer you guys, if you want to hear some crazy shit, listen to the two dopey episodes that Mackenzie Phillips is on, because yeah. <laughs> it's really something else, and read that book. But, but they both both have the Hollywood thing. They were both raised by, you yeah. know, in, in some... You know, means although although her situation was vastly different. Yeah. Um. You know, he had a, a troublesome relationship with her mother. She had a troublesome relationship with her father. Whatever. Um. But I think it's okay. I've said all the negative shit I want to say about Matthew Perry. Really, there are some whiz bombs. Whiz bombs. in the book, and I would just like to maybe we should discuss a couple of those. And, yes. and and talk about them. So okay. the first one is it's not his, but his he had a therapist, one of his many therapists over the years, who gave him the line that reality is an acquired taste. Mm. Do you remember hearing that? I don't. Okay, I like it though. It is interesting because so much of what we do in addiction is to try and separate ourselves from reality that we find unpleasant. Right, and that went off like a light bulb mm. in his mind. Uh, and it didn't really help him for a number of years, but I, but I guess navigating the idea that, that what you're doing with all this using is to try and take yourself out of your reality yeah. is, you know, I mean, it seems obvious except when you're in the middle of it, you right. don't even realize that that's what you're doing. And that kind of perspective wouldn't have even helped me, you know, even if I did realize it like, Oh, you know, cause you're just so you're like an, I was in an animal state almost. Yeah. You know? Right. But I don't know. That stood out to me as a, a moment of, of wisdom yeah. and clarity. Uh, and the another one... Um, Learning to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and I guess uh, another one he came out with was, uh, alcoholics hate two things, the way things are and change. Have you ever heard that? Is that an AA bromide? It sounds like one, but I'm drawing a blank on it. They hate change and the way things are. In right. other words, you're... You're irritable, either way. restless, and discontented. But you're not going to change your behavior because you hate change. Right. Because you're afraid to change. Yeah, people love um, progress but hate change. That was another one I heard recently. Right. Mm. Okay. It's on that same. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the conundrum that addicts, we find ourselves in, you know, when especially, you know, when we're first trying to, to, to fix things, so to speak, so... Yeah, no, that is, uh, he definitely has done his thousand hours in therapy, like, mm-hmm. that's for sure, and it, you can hear him kind of working it out, you know, he just spent, you know, he went to Hazelden, um, right. he talks about some of his rehab experiences, which I love hearing that stuff, it's just so interesting, you know, but clearly he, he had opportunities because of his fame you know, that none of it, and he even says that, he goes, this guy saved my life when he was being resuscitated 
and he had heard that the guy said, I'm not letting the guy from Friends die in my hospital, <laughs> and gave him CPR, you know, for the full three minutes, and yeah. he probably wouldn't have done that. You know, he would have given up had I not been Matthew Perry. And uh, which, and, which, that's a little egocentric, too. There's a it? lot of that stuff. I mean, he's clearly has an overinflated sense of importance just in the world, like at large. You well, know? He, he, um, he does admit in the book to being like an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. Right, he doesn't use those words yeah. specifically, but it, it's in there. Like, I think he recognizes that he has a healthy self-appreciation of his own self-worth. Yeah. But, um, like, like he also said, you know, if you're going to blame your parents for the bad stuff, you have to give them credit for the good stuff. Like, and he always blamed his mother for not being, uh, never thought his mother was proud enough for him for being successful on Friends. <laughs> so, um, well, yeah. you know, talk about an adverse childhood experience. I mean, my mom was never proud of me for being, you know, the biggest star in the country. Like, I mean, I guess at the, I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean like, even even if we're star, even if we have all the money, all we're really seeking for is parental validation? Or does that sound like some hokey L.A. therapy shit No, also? because I suffer from that, too. And that's one of the things. I mean, I'm not famous, or, nor am I rich, and neither is my father or anything like that. But I still kind of identify that a lot of my imposter syndrome and my uh, lack of feeling good about my accomplishments, is it stems from that. Like, I don't ever feel like um, I will live up to the standards set by my father, basically. Sure. And, but I also recognize that that's absurd. Mm-hmm. And, and that, of course, my father loves me regardless of whether or not I live up to some imaginary standard I've superimposed on his, you know, intentions. Right. It's not his standard. No, it's your it's standard. It's completely my dysfunction, you know. <laughs> so, so it's like that's another case of I understand it, but why do I still feel it? Yeah. You know. But, you know, so on another level, he's, you could see that even when you're as successful as he has been, yeah. uh, Matthew Perry, you can still feel inadequate. You know, you can still say, my mom doesn't, you know, respect my success. Meanwhile, she's probably elated that you're a billionaire and are so famous, you know. There's, right, right. There's no, there's no falling short there except what you, what you impose on yourself. So that, I mean, that's something we can all relate to, I think. Yeah, you know. Uh, well, it, true. I mean, I remember in in, in two thousand and ten when my mother died. Um, you know, my father called an old neighbor to tell her the news, and the neighbor was like, "Oh, that's so sad." Uh, Mark, she was so happy that Mark was finally getting his act. Mark, Mike was finally Mike? getting his act together. At this point, I had been a lawyer yeah. uh, for like ten years, and you know, <laughs> I, my life was You're pretty finally together. Getting it together, but you know. But I guess when you're also when you're the child of an alcoholic, that also complicates things. Yeah. Um, you know, in my case, that was that was a complication because I, I no matter what I did, it wasn't it wasn't good enough. But I but I've learned to deal with that over the years, and I, I no longer, you know, my parents are both dead. So, but even before that, I didn't feel the need to impress them. Huh. I had to kind of get that out of my head a few years ago because it was causing me nothing but trouble. Yeah, and know? I think this is all part of maturing. You know, and um. I, I've been known to reduce recovery to just growing up, you know, at my own peril. Mm-hmm. But um, the more I, I examine these things, the more I sort of, I, it appears like this is all just maturity. It's like, you know, as you have to deal with more 
adult quote unquote things and you you go through your parents aging and passing away and you have to be the man of the family mm-hmm. and um, if if you're doing what you're supposed to your character rises to those new responsibilities yeah and when your character doesn't rise to those responsibilities like where I was at it, it it's um things go horribly wrong yeah you know and um and so part of this whole process I feel like is a is like a pet it's like a you know, a process of growing and becoming that, you know, the patriarch that right. you were meant to be or matriarch, <laughs> depending. And so, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting to see that a guy, e- even Matthew Perry can feel like he's not living up to his mother's expectations. Yeah. I, I try not to dump any of that shit on my kids. Like, because what I just want them to be happy, well-adjusted, you know, yeah. productive people like, and happy in whatever definition that they set yeah. for themselves. Like my, my son, cause he was, he's been struggling in his first semester of college and you know, he came out with once like, Oh, you know, you just want to be able to say that you have kids that went to college. And I'm like, I'm like, do you know my personal story? Yeah. You know? And so I, I kind of went back and I told him and I said, I, I don't give a shit if you go to college, I don't give a crap. I just want you to be happy with what you're doing. Yeah. Like, don't turn around and look at us and, th- and, and make assumptions about what we want what we think is your life's trajectory because we're going to be dead you're going to be still living <laughs> this is you don't need life. to carry this mental baggage yeah. around with you you know it's your life you know do it yeah um, it's a it's a tight rope to walk too you know because i try and do the same thing i wonder i wonder sometimes if i'm overdoing that i just want you to be happy thing and yeah. maybe am i withholding some direction that i should be giving to noah and max you well, know, I mean, by, your kids are are a little young, younger than my eighteen-year-old. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, he, you're at a very different spot. He's, he's yeah. kind of chart feeling his own course, yeah. but but and I don't want to be the one that's holding him back or forcing him to do yeah. something that doesn't fit with his personality. I'm glad I get to watch you do it first. Yeah, <laughs> you can watch from here. And well, then. I've apologized to Dimitri already. I'm like, I'm sorry, we really <laughs> fucked up with you, like in a number of ways that we're trying not to do with your brother. It you was know? a sacrifice for his brothers. You <laughs> like, know, the first one's always a bit of an experiment. You <laughs> yeah. know, if you want to make an omelet. You got to break a few yeah. eggs. Yeah. Sometimes those eggs are children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no. Listen, you know, we're all just trying to claw our way, you know, out of the darkness, right? I mean. Yeah, I heard, um, and my perspective is getting, uh, is changing, of course, as time goes on. You know, I heard something, I've heard something on TV where they were saying like, um, uh, <laughs> something about uh, your kids. Ah, oh, shoot. What was it? It's just seeing that. Darn it. I completely dropped it. Mm. We were talking about our kids growing up and coming into their own and being, you know, proud of them no matter what. Well, I'll have to take this in another direction because I completely forgot <laughs> Keep tapped in, so what yeah. I was saying. Um, but yeah, trying to just, uh, you know, I do that with Noah, too. I want him to do certain things and I want his life to go in certain directions just because I know it, it'll be rewarding for him. Yeah. But, you know, just threading that needle of not being Listen, too... you can nudge, but you can't push. You right. Know? You, you know, because you then they resent horse, it and they'll go a different direction. You can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him not drink. Yeah. but And you also, you know, you leave him with a whole bunch of what they perceive as trauma, you know. <laughs> like Matthew Perry, right? His trauma was being sent alone on an airplane across the country. Or um, unaccompanied, you know, having his having his parents not together. He used to get on his knees and pray to God to bring his parents together. You know, yeah, it's a child it, of it, divorce. It got me thinking, like how much how much am I carrying around of 
how much power am I investing in, mm. in childhood experiences and, and how much is me looking at those childhood experiences and blaming them or attributing my difficult rocky road through substance abuse um, yeah. to those experiences? Is it easy to turn around and look back and say, that's what caused this? You know, and am I doing that to avoid looking at other issues? Right. You know, it got really got me thinking about like, you know, I doubt Matthew Perry's like 30 years of opioid addiction were really attributable to the two or three times he was flown across the country on an airplane by himself. You know what I mean? And that's what it, he makes it seem like. At yeah. The, you know. But maybe he needs to go a little deeper. Uh, you know, I, I'm, and I feel very presumptuous for saying so, but. Well, it, it's it's nice because it's an easy thing to point to, you know. And I feel, or like, maybe he doesn't need to go deeper. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's maybe, perfect. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you don't need to know the why all the time. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, like, you know, if your house is on fire, do you, you run out, right? You don't sit there and go, "Who started this fire? Yeah. And and why is it burning? And, right? And what is the nature of fire? You know, right. no, you get the fuck <laughs> out of there before it kills you. What is the nature? Yeah, of fire? what is the nature of fire? And did Prometheus steal it from the gods? No. <laughs> Jump out the <laughs> fucking window and you know, and save yourself. Then, but but later, a week or two later, you do have to figure out the cause of the fire for the insurance company, right? Yes. So, at some point, you you should venture to guess and to learn why right. it started. So, but you don't do it while it's. But you also you. don't need to necessarily know which wire in the electrical box shorted out. You just need to know it was an electrical fire, right? So maybe going to, to beat this analogy to fucking to death, say. <laughs> maybe, to, um, maybe you don't need to really tunnel down that far into your psyche. I mean, there's yeah. doing the work and then there's obsessing over like your past. And, and I, right. I, think not, I don't think obsession about your adverse childhood experiences is, is necessarily a good thing either. I mean, if, if, I mean, there are people that have experienced real trauma, physical trauma, sexual right. trauma, you know, um, and that needs to be dealt with. It needs to be brought out into the fore, and I'm sure that has a huge impact on your on your life and addiction. But, um, well, I don't know. It, it, yeah, maybe am I like uh, am I minimizing Matthew Perry's trauma because people people have different reactions to the same stimuli. Right. Well, that that just I kind of had a light bulb moment there when we were discussing that. I feel like. He, you know, there is a process that happens over, well, just looking back on my own, and he's at a certain point in his recovery process where this is what is for, foremost in his mind. So, like, maybe he's just in that part of his recovery where this is what you focus on for yeah. a bit. You know, because I'm sure I did that, um, you know, as you're, like, going through the recovery. And so... Maybe the the thing I don't like is that he's written this book at that part of his process, mm-hmm. which is a time of my process that I'm uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. And so maybe reading his book reminds me of when oh. I was at that spot. So maybe that's what makes me uncomfortable. Could, but could be. It's sort of documenting, you know, he's, you know, because if he continues trying to recover the way he is, you know, his perspective will change just like ours did. And then maybe he writes another book, but maybe that's all that it is. It's just where he's at. Yeah, but he's also he's also had thirty years of therapy to sort of dig into the, you know, the adverse childhood experience right, shit but and figure out what the- therapy while you're using. I don't know if you've ever gone to a therapist while you were like 
know, yes, like I have. Yes, I have. Uh, I have. And they told me be- to stop drinking, right? Because we can't do any therapy if I'm Wasn't drinking eight that, pints a day. <laughs> that was hilarious. How many yeah. like therapists that I walk out of, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to stop drinking. But how much do you drink per day? <laughs> right. And I'm thinking, well, if I tell you what I really drink per day, yeah. this is gonna this is gonna work. And then you lie, and it's still too much, right? And then they <laughs> add more on top yeah. of that. Yeah, 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 they're they're doing the math yeah. as well. Uh, yeah. Um, but you know, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that, that he recovered through, uh, 12 step in AA and he, he, when he was coming out of a, a Xanax binge, he claimed to have a, a spiritual awakening of sorts yeah. in his kitchen. Yeah, it was cringy. Uh, the bright light moment that and all that. Cringy. And you know, I, and I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, this is an, the scene is set up perfectly. Yeah. The, uh, the, the way it happened is too perfect. It's and I'm like, do I just, yeah. do I not believe Matthew Perry's, uh, you know, spiritual, yeah. immediate spiritual awakening or what? Yeah, I felt shitty about feeling that way too. It just, I'll say, you know, final words on this book because we think we have to. Do we? I, I don't know. What it, time is it? I don't know. It's like 10 after nine. <laughs> okay. And um, I just feel like, you know, it seems disingenuous, but again, I'm try- am I projecting my own, you know, insecurity on it or something? Or maybe it's just disingenuous because... This is the way he validates his experience by making it a valuable piece of entertainment. You know? yeah. He talks a lot about how he had to make people laugh to feel like he was um, valid. Yeah. You know, he talks about being the Joker and how he doesn't always have, he's realized now, he doesn't have to be a joke machine all the time to, right. to validate his existence and to, to be important and to be valuable. And I, I understand that too. Sometimes I catch myself... Uh, when I see someone I haven't seen in a while or uh, where I feel like I have to constantly shtick and entertain and I'm like, yes. why am I doing that? You know, why do I have to keep getting this person to laugh? Like, wh- why can't I just be normal? Why can't I just be myself? And Maybe that is yourself. It, maybe, but I don't love it. But that's part of <laughs> who I am. I don't like who I am. You well, know? maybe we need to reconcile the inner and the outer, right? Mm. Isn't, isn't that what true progress in therapy is all about? I think like, they call that a spiritual colonoscopy. <laughs> sounds good. Um, <laughs> one last thing on the, on the book. Um, and I know I said I was done with saying negative things about it. But something that st- stood out to me is... Um, he was on um, buprenorphine for a while, for a long while, and taking a lot more than most people. Mm. Um, and, well, two things. First of all, he gives his, he, he starts going into the, the reasons why he doesn't want to, do, or is not doing opiates anymore. And his principal reason, he seemed to be that he can't get high on opiates anymore. That his tolerance was so high right, that he didn't really see any point in, in, in doing in doing opiates anymore because he could take all the opiates and he wouldn't get high. And I'm like, well, that seems like a pretty sketchy reason not to do opiates anymore. And then he was talking about, um, Suboxone and he said, um, am I blocking my relationship with God because I'm taking Suboxone? And I'm like, this right there is what kills fucking thousands of alcoholics and drug addicts every year is they go into an AA meeting and someone tells them that the medication is blocking their recovery. That's right. It's actually facilitating their recovery. And then he goes on and he blames the Suboxone for damaging his opioid receptors. Um, You know, that's despite the fact that the reason he had to be on it in the first place is because he kept fucking up his recovery. And, you know, so um, 
So most people don't have that experience, but now he's doing the favor of telling like millions of people that they shouldn't take Suboxone because he is like internalized yeah. the AA party line on that. And and I think that does a disservice to people who are looking for an alternative recovery. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a common thing we see in the 12 step or just extremely conservative um, recovery programs. It's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater is just the, the easy way to look at it. You know, y- you can't, I'm going to say this. I, I don't know this for a fact, but I don't think you can block your way to God. Like I think about mm-hmm. like, can, can a fish <laughs> block his way to the water he's in? You know, like, no, Namaste, no. motherfucker. That's like, that's deep. <laughs> there, God is everywhere. Like, yet, like people say, this will get you closer to God. And I always loved, you know, that's like telling a fish he needs to get closer to water. Like it's maybe being closer and understanding what you're doing in that water and how it works and you know, why and all of that. But I'm not a believer in, in that you can really block. I mean, you could do things to take your attention off the prize and that sort of thing, hmm. but to take like to, to suggest that somehow medication will block your spiritual progress. I mean, it's like anything. It depends on what your intentions are, hmm. right? It, like you want to get high and, and take your gabapentin times 10 to get high when it's, you're supposed to take two. Like, is that the medication or is that just you? Hmm. You know, that's interesting. That's, uh, you know, that opens up a whole other line of inquiry that we probably don't have time to get into. You might even say a whole nother. With, did I say it? No, but I wanted another? to. No, I said another. It's not a word. It's not a word. It's not a word. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, there is other medication that some argue would facilitate your communication with God, like psychedelics and ah, that kind of thing. Ah, you're right. That did open up something yeah. interesting. But uh, hmm. regrettably, the new RMA, we don't have time to go off on these little tangents because well, we both have jobs to do. And yeah. Stuff. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Do I recommend, do you recommend this book for people? Like if, if they could steal a copy, should they read it? I don't know. I mean, I think if you're, how about this? If you're interested in Matthew Perry's recovery story, you should definitely get this book. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I have some other books I would recommend ahead of it. Mm. Um, but uh, the Monsters are are having a book club, I think on December something 15th. So, yeah, I don't know if the date's been settled, so right. do reach out. Um, yeah, if you I'd want like to read to. a really good recovery memoir, read... Um, uh, Joseph Naus's books <laughs> instead. Yeah. They're much more reflective. But, and um, uh, hopefully we can get Joseph Naus back on the show. I haven't told him yet, but I, I want to have him back on the show. Yeah. And uh, yes. You, mm, no, I'm sorry. I was interrupted. Just, I was going to say, and that's the way that goes. <laughs> I, did you want to do a story or do we have to go? Because um, this is a quickie. Yeah. Let's like do a recovery a story. in the news. Yes, and don't worry, guys. The music will be back. Yeah, we're going to bring all that back. We're <laughs> sort of on life or in life raft mode yeah, here. So yeah. thank you for sticking with us. Recovery um, in the news. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put the music in right here. Do it. I'm going to have a lot, a lot of fun deliberately not matching that to the music. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be in key. I can't remember that first chord. Uh, in any case. Anyway. Recovering the news. Yeah. So, um, the recovering the news this week comes from Fortune magazine, although this this has been in every other media outlet as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's semi-serious. So, the title of the article is Man Fired for Failing to be Fun at Work Wins Compensation <laughs> Lawsuit. Um 
Mr. T, the unfortunately named Mr. T, <laughs> Mr. Uh, T. refused to comply with Cubic Partners' fun values that the court said involved engaging ex- in excessive drinking and other problematic behaviors. So, um, Mr. T was an employee of this French company, and yeah. apparently the French company mandated uh, the happy hours, and you would have <laughs> really? to go out and get shit-faced with your colleagues, and if you didn't do that, you were considered a stick in the mud, and you were, and in Mr. <laughs> T's case, you were actually fired. So I, I um, pity the fool. <laughs> that is great. Yes. Um, so, they made up this excuse of professional incompetence and fired him. Um, wow. And, and the so-called incompetence arose when Mr. T refused to comply with Cubic's fun values. Um, his refusal, as his refusal to participate was given as a reason for his dismissal, the judge deemed that he had been wrongly fired. Uh, Mr. T could not be blamed for his failure to integrate the values of the company, which saw the necessary participation in seminars and weekend parties, frequently generating excessive alcoholism encouraged by company associates who made very large quantities of alcohol available. She added that the company advocated practices including promiscuity, bullying, and incitement to various excesses among its staff at these events. Wow. And the French, am I right? Yes. Yikes. Uh, but, you know, that could be bankers, lawyers, whatever. Mr. T also argued that the company's fun culture was characterized by humiliating and intrusive expectations like carrying out mock sexual acts and being obliged to share a bed with a colleague when traveling overnight for work. What the hell? Um... Managers also allegedly encouraged using nicknames and posting distorted and made-up photographs in the office. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, wow. A judge, in, at least in France, has decided that you cannot be forced to, to participate in sexual perversions and, co- <laughs> and co- out of the, off-the-wall cocktail hours, right? Wow. It sounds just like... They um, gave him half a million dollars, by the wow. way. Wow. Yeah. That's really... Um, I'm, I'm proud of the French for standing up for something. Uh, <laughs> standing up for anything at all right congratulations france yes the cheese eating surrender monkeys yes. as they were always. Cheese eating surrender monkeys. so um yeah that's you know i've um i think that's amazing it sounds like it's just you know like college partying gone corporate you know i mean you know on a serious level you know there are a lot of companies in this country that require that you know if you don't participate in the happy hours if you don't go to the bars right. and stuff with everybody after work you do not make the same advances as people who do right well you know you're expected to um shake hands you know be friendly and and when a lot of that takes place in these scenarios it's difficult as you're starting to find out but yeah. not as difficult as you thought no it's not and so I, maybe that's changing not in france but you could say it is changing in France because now the judge, le juge, <laughs> has said, no more. Aucun. None. <laughs> None. Uh, whether or jamais. not that, that... Jamais, right? Jamais was never. 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 Oui. Yeah. The odds of that filtering across to corporate culture in America, who knows? But it seems as though like the millennials and the, and the, and the Gen Z folks are drinking considerably less than their Gen X and millennial... Yeah counterparts i'd be interested to hear out there monsters once you write us at mike r at middleagesrecovery.com and tell us what's your work culture like how has it changed um from you know pre-covid post-covid do you feel like you're in a scenario where you're pressured to drink and and all of that and let us know uh and i think that is going to be recovery in the news uh <laughs> and that's where the music goes. Right. right. So, um, 
anything uh, left that we'd like to say? Have we um, have we achieved our goal for the day? I think we've uh, we've provided a solid hour of content. Yeah, and and thank <laughs> you guys so much today. because um, you know you really have stuck with us, and the, you know we're just really happy to be back and doing this, and it's only going to get better. I feel like the world, our lives, our schedules are starting to <laughs> to to change in a way that it's like Moses parting the Red Sea. You know, we're making room, and we're going to go boom. It's going to be good. <laughs> We're going to make it happen. Chased by people on oh. chariots. But uh, that about does it for today. I had, a, I know I had a great time. Did you? Yes, I did. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us a twat. You twit. Support your favorite show. Drop us a five-star review. Guys, 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 monsters, where are the reviews? We need reviews, please. Maybe if we mail out a t-shirt or two to Melissa, yeah. you know, people would... We owe write us sure. reviews. Please write us a review. That. A good review. And yeah. we love meeting new monsters. So check us out on Facebook. There is a Facebook group, Recovering the Middle Ages. Uh, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash recovery the middle ages and get onto the inner sanctum. At some point we are gonna have more exclusive content. <laughs> um, you get free merch just, Let's for just being uh, on there. one day at a time. Uh, oh, Dad. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Stay fresh, cheese. Thanks. Be good. Bye. Bye. Bye.